Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new series of Changes. My name is Annie McManus and we are here to talk about change. Hi guys, I'm sat in my garden office on a really sunny Friday afternoon. The door is open, the birds are singing, the butterflies are fluttering. It's really nice to be here, kind of at the very end of summer as autumn is slowly approaching. And I'm thrilled to bring you this new series of changes. So change is omnipresent and inevitable. It defines our lives. And as someone who's had a lot of conversations about it, I can tell you it comes in many forms. There's change that's forced upon you. You know, this can happen in childhood or maybe in terms of accidents or health scares. Then there's change you enact yourself when you are older, when you have some agency, you can own your choices, you can orchestrate your own upheavals. And then there's slow change that is happening all around us in terms of society, climate, politics. Well, this podcast focuses on identifying and exploring big moments of change in our guests' lives so that we can learn better how to navigate change when it happens to us, when it arrives unwanted, or when we want to use change as a tool to enhance our lives, to progress, to thrive, and to live fully and to live well. For me, change, for better or worse, makes you feel alive. And that is why I like to talk about it. Let's begin. I love change. I am on the road all the time, which is change. I... I, I like routine sometimes because I don't have it that much. Yeah, it's a novelty. Yeah, I'll lean in and be like, oh, this is nice. And then I'll get itchy feet. Like I'm a bit of a circus act, which kind of happens slowly. I didn't really notice that happening. But no, I really like change. That is the voice of Joanne McNally, an incredibly gifted Irish comedian who is currently enjoying huge success. The Guardian put it well when they said she inspires passionate devotion because she radiates relatability. She's able to sum up many women's innermost thoughts and feelings with lightning wit and an invariably hilarious turn of phrase. Joanne has booked an impressive 60 nights at the iconic Vicar Street venue in Dublin with her show The Prosecco Express. To give you an idea of scale, that's 63,000 tickets for one venue alone. She's also touring the UK. She's played four sold out shows at the Palladium, recently sold out the Apollo with extra dates added. She has a book deal. And a lot of you, I'd say most of you listening, will probably know her for her phenomenally successful and popular podcast, My Therapist Ghosted Me. Joanne co-hosts a podcast with model and presenter and childhood pal Vogue Williams and it's currently racking up a colossal 2.5 million downloads a week. If you haven't listened yet, I hope you will after this episode. Right, before we get into it, just a heads up that eating disorders are discussed. So please bear that in mind. If it could be triggering or sensitive to you, check the show notes for details. But right now, it's time to talk about change. 
Joanne McNally, welcome to Changes. Thank you very much, Annie. It's so good to have you here. Um, Thank you. It's the most fun research I've ever done, just because I've just basically <laughs> been listening to your podcast constantly, sniggering away to myself on trains, on bikes, in cars, on my jogs. Like, just congratulations. You're flying. Thank you. Yeah, it's, the podcast is doing well. Who knew? Like, which I just kind of, kind of very surprised myself, to be honest. I don't listen to it, can't listen to it. I'm sure you're probably like me. I can't listen to myself back. I just yeah. hate myself. Um, I listened to it once and I actually, t- I think I kind of cried, like not like dramatic cries, but I, I just, it made me want to screw up my insides out with a Brillo pad. So I just don't listen to it now. So I don't even know what's on it. My biggest fear is that I sound stupid. I'm always saying to Vogue, do we sound stupid? She's like, no, we don't sound stupid. But also I kind of overshare and I like, I think that's a, a nice thing about the podcast. So I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear back what I've said because I'll regret it. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, I mean, that is part of why I love it is that there's just, you genuinely have no idea what's around the corner. Like one minute you'll be talking about a dog with sparklers for legs and the next minute you'll be talking about riding your boyfriend and he falls asleep. Bastards, like the, yeah. The, the <laughs> <laughs> In no fairness, limits. My poor boyfriend, so he was like, why did you fucking tell him that? And I was like, because it's funny. But he was like, tell them. But I, it wasn't because it wasn't because you're shit in the sack. I was wrecked. And I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm obviously going to issue a statement to set to make sure everyone <laughs> knows I'm not shit in the sack. <laughs> That's already written. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that piece is coming. Don't worry. Yeah. I've won awards. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think part of the reason why, why I love it anyway is just the, the fact that you take the piss out of each other. You and Vogue Williams, your co-host. Yeah. So mercilessly like I, and, and you know there's so much to slag off in a brilliant way even if you wanted to you cannot dislike you guys because you take the piss out of yourself so brilliantly the best thing about people is when they can take the piss out of themselves and well, you're so I, good at it I was only saying to folks that I'm sure there's plenty of people who don't like us but the thing is when you kind of know what they're saying when you anticipate what they're going to say you're, it kind of takes the power out of them a bit you know what I mean you're right. like yeah I know I know he's I know he's saying the same I know we're annoying and the thing as well is I when I was getting into stand-up I was told my accent where are you from I'm from South Dublin I'm from yeah Dublin. but I've lived here for 20 over 20 years okay so yeah my accent has it, it'll come up now I'm talking to you but it's, yeah it's diluted a bit it's diluted but so mine, mine is diluted as well because it was, I, I kind of had to. When I first started, I was very Southside, like very Southside, you know, like that. And um, I was always middle-aged men. They're like, can't listen to that shite, hate that accent. Like, the, really? you know, this assumed privilege about it and all. So, because me and Vogue both kind of have that accent. Yeah. So I can imagine there's some people who we make their ears bleed. Plus it's kind of just nonsense. The pot is just like, it's like verbal diarrhea but anyway I think the reason that we can slag each other so well is because we're so different so Vogue's yeah. like married with kids she's rich she's loaded and um, she's a very posh aristocratic husband um Spencer she, from Made in Chelsea Spencer. Spenny as she calls him which I'm obsessed with Spenno as I call him and she holidays in St. Bart's and stuff and then I'm I'm on the other end where I was what when we started single no kids living in a house sharing Clapham having a pot to piss in you know, so there so because we represent different lifestyles, I guess, I think maybe that's why it works as well. Yeah. And that and that's why we can take the piss out of each other because we're so different. She's like highly organized, anal. I think she's OCD. I honestly think she's kind of a touch of OCD, whereas I'm just chaotic. Like my room, that's what, like a fucking, Jesus. If you could, so all those differences, I think, mean that we can slag each other, you know. Plus it's, it's fun slagging Vogue because... 
Well, she can take it. Because she can take it. Yeah. And that's the most important part. And I think it's done wonders. The pod has done wonders for us both. Mm. And um, one of the things I think it has really benefited Vogue with is that people know she's sound now. And I think before exactly. pe- people didn't know her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And from the outside on paper, you could be snobby. You know, exactly. Just just on paper, like if you wrote down, you know, Vogue's whatever, I don't know. But then you hear her and it's like she's so sound. Yeah, she's just she's just normal. But she had a very polished version of herself because she's a presenter. And I think when you're a presenter, you kind of have to stay a little bit beige almost because you want shows and channels to be able to put their stamp on you. But anyway, yeah, she's great crack. Yeah. And, and you're the opposite in that you just say whatever you want, which is amazing. And then yeah, you bring that out in her too. That's the thing. But like I never presented myself as any other way. So I was always kind of because I'm a comic, so I get it, I get away with more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm held to no nose dying. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. No one gives a you're shit winning. what I say. No one gives a shit what I say. It's amazing. It's brilliant. Um, congrats on on the comedy stuff as well. It's incredible. People must Thank be you. fucking ringing you off the hook. <laughs> Not really. No. <laughs> no. But it, do you know what it has? It's I've kind of become quite self contained. Like you kind of just like I've been on there. I started this tour on Dece- in December in Leicester Square Theatre, and I've been basically on the road since then. Now I just had a month off. It wasn't off. I was working, but I just wasn't gigging. Yeah. So at the start, it's like party, party. And then by like February 8th, you're like, all right, listen, this isn't sustainable. Just like, yeah, night, night 23. You're like, yeah, do your show, go home, do your show, go home, do your show, go home. So I've become this tour has actually made me more responsible, which I which I wasn't expecting. I'm more sensible now. Yeah, I guess when it's that intense in terms of the workload, like you have to deliver like a hun- and every single night and like there's no ringing it in uh, yeah so I was like you, jo- Joanne you have to just grow up now grow up so obviously you've been grafting as a comedian for years mm-hmm. do you think my therapist goes to me the success of that kind of boosted your like awareness as a comedian did that help yeah oh yeah the podcast was an absolute game changer for me game yeah. changer it's changed yeah. my life it's changed my life well talking about change yes Boom. Segue. Yeah. Um, how are you with change? Are you a fan of change? Do you lean into it? Do you avoid it? I love change. Yeah. Really? I would say I'm a bit of a commitment phobe in all aspects of my life. Okay. I love change. I am on the road all the time, which is change. I I, I like routine sometimes because I don't have it that much. Yeah. It's a novelty. Yeah. I'll lean in. I'll be like, oh, this is nice. And then I'll get itchy feet. Like I'm a bit of a circus act, which kind of happens slowly. I didn't really notice that happening, but no, I really like change. I love it. Uh, change a scene. I'm always kind of not, not, I don't change friends, but I love meeting new people. And um, I love going to different places and yeah, I love it. I'm on my own a lot. So I'm, I kind of have to make my own fun a lot of the time. So I, I'll try new things, go to show, like all that stuff. Yeah. I love it. Love change. Let's start with childhood. So you grew up in South Dublin, Kalini, am I right? Yes. Did you go to school with Vogue? No. So she was Houth. I was Kalini. So I went right. to Loretto Dorky. She went to some school out in Houth. I can't remember the name. <clears throat> okay. Okay. And how was, how was that? How was school? Loved school. I was Did in. Did you? Lo- oh my God. Do you know the way some comics say, say that they were very serious in school and they weren't the class clown? 
Yeah. I was 100% the class clown. I read an interview with, with you in Hot Press where they called you like the mouthy girl at the back of the class. And I was like, that's so on point. 100%. This wasn't... Love it. It wasn't like there was a... It wasn't like I was a really shy, introverted child and kind of found my voice later in life. I was always a show pony and a chatterbox and was always having to sit on my own in class because I was disruptive and all that stuff. But I love skill because I had loads of friends and I just loved the vibe of it. And it was, it was a girl's school. There was loads of camaraderie. And uh, we had our little gangs and we'd go out at the weekend and we'd be drinking in fields and smoking in the bike sheds. And I loved it. I, I loved it too much, actually, that they asked me to leave. <laughs> <laughs> when and why? Well, so it was like, I mean, it was a, it was a gentle expulsion. It wasn't a... It was a, they just made it very difficult for me to be there. They, you know, the honors teachers didn't want to take me anymore. And I, why? Because you were disruptive in class. Yeah, I was disruptive. Got you. Yeah. And then I was, I went to France for school for a while. And then they wanted, Loretta were insisting I'd still pay the fees. And they were like, she's, she, they were just trying to push me out slowly. And then they, they eventually, my mum just like, you're not going back. And I was like, Grant. Right. And then I went to the Institute, which is a mixed school. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember this so well. I remember people going to the Institute. Remember the Institute. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like around boys and all for the first time. And I was like, oh, God, how do, how do we how do we navigate this? Because I was so used to being in this really safe clique of just females. Or I think there was only one male teacher in the school. It was just women, wow. women, 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 women. Um, and I love women. Like I love I'm a very I'm a girl's girl a big time. Yeah. Like I love the chats and I love chatting to new women and like I live in the toilets. Do you know what I mean? Just <laughs> like all that I shit. Just imagine it. I just love it. I just thrive on it. Um, but yeah, but no, I loved skill. I really did. The move was probably good for me because I probably wouldn't have done that well in my exams in Dorky because I was a messer, you know? Yeah. Um, and I deserved to do well because I was smart. And, and you did well? I did well. Yeah. And then I went to college and I did. I wanted to be a journalist. Yeah. But actually, I wanted to be an actor. But um, my parents, that wouldn't have been the vibe. They were like, that's acting's for, you know, boho. Yeah. You know. It was not it, a reliable career choice, is it? It's, it's exactly. a bit risque. Yeah. yeah. My, yeah. my parents weren't arty. And, so um, what, what were your parents like? So dad was, he died when I was 16. He was okay. a, dra- a draftsman and my mum was a nurse. She's still alive, but retired. So, you know. Like a draftsman, like a like an architect kind of. So he drew up the designs of Got architects. You. I think that's. I think that was the yeah. vibe. I never really understood it either. But um, he would do a lot of. Te- he, he used to lecture t- uh, like technical drawing and stuff in NCID. So right. that that was his thing. Yeah. So then because I'm adopted, Mum said that I arrived. I kind of tap danced into the house, and she was like, because that just wasn't her thing. She's like, I didn't know what to do with you. So they, <laughs> so they put me in drama and all that, and I loved it. And um. But it was never in my family. That would never have been a career choice. That's something you do at the weekends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So then I thought I wanted to be a journalist and a writer. And then I ended up in PR because I felt like that kind of ticked a couple of those boxes, like a writing press releases and all, but didn't really tick a lot of boxes in the end. It's so funny, isn't it? When you're that age, like I, I went to uni in Belfast and I got to third year and I was like, right, what do I want to do? What do I like? I like music. Yeah. I like going out and chatting with people. Put those two together, music and talk equals radio. Like literally that rudimentary. It was like, I'm going to try and do get into radio. It's so basic, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, but Annie, look at you. That, <laughs> yeah. it, or, it worked. 
Do you know what I mean? It like, worked. It worked. I think that's so impressive because I didn't have a clue. I was so lost. I didn't know what to do. I, I knew I had a side. Well, it ended up being I had a side to me that was deeply unfulfilled. And I ended up being incredibly unwell. Now, I don't know if I, I had this. I had a really bad eating disorder, which is how I ended up in comedy. But I'll tell you about that. But um, yeah. I'm so envious of people like you who were like, this is what I, this is what I'm good at. And this is what I'm going to do. I remember there was a girl I was in school with and at 18 or 17 when we were doing our leave insert. She was like, I want to be a radiologist. And I was like, a radiologist? What hey, the fuck? Is that? Yeah, when I was like, a, yeah, it's not a pirate radio station. What the fuck <laughs> is that? She goes, I want to be a radiologist. And you know what she is? She's a fucking a radiologist. radiologist. Like, what? I, I had to say, clue. I didn't think I was good at either of those things. They're just what I liked. So I was like, I, I'm going to at least, you know, I'm going to at least try and pursue what I like. Yeah. That's the goal, isn't it? To end but, up doing a job that you like. But it's such a practical way of looking at something. It's so, it's mm. so impressive. You're like, these are the two things I like. And this is where that, that's where that career is. That's what that yeah. career is. And now yeah. you're in that career. Yeah. 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 No, it is. It's pretty basic, but maybe that, that was a good thing. Just kind yeah. Of- I was seven years doing a three year degree because that's how clueless I was so what would you say is your biggest childhood change then my biggest childhood change there was a few I mean I mean not to get too somber but my dad dying was obviously a huge change when you're 16 as well and you're going through so much change like bodily and mentally and hormonally and everything yeah so he died so uh, the summer I turned 16 and then I that was the that was the summer that I was starting my new school in the institute so I'd left Dorky oh God, yeah started a new school he was just dead my family weren't we weren't handling it that well was it a sudden no okay no, no, no. well I mean do you know what's funny it's it he was very sick for a very long time but it was still sudden we I I was young I was I did not in my mind think he was gonna die of course yeah. I just knew dad wasn't that well yeah, but I, I genuinely didn't think he was going to die. But um, but he went ahead and did it anyway. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, don't worry, you know, she's over twenty years gone now. But I just mean that that was the biggest shift. That time was a huge shift. Yeah. Um, yeah. new school. So new school, new people. Yeah, yeah. And home life in total flux. Big time. Yeah, that was a bit. God, what would you say? Speaking of change, there was very little routine around that time in my life, and it yeah. was all everything. Everything was new. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a swirly, whirly time for me. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that change you, do you reckon? Looking back now with hindsight. Um, I don't know. Like, it's funny, isn't it? You, you wonder, I mean, what makes us who we are? It's kind of like, I remember, you know, the whole nature versus nurture thing, which has always been a, a, a big interest to me because of the adoption thing that I'm like, what, yeah. what bits did I inherit and what bits did I did learn? I learn? Yeah. yeah. And because I'm nothing I'm not really like my family right but I don't know if I, I don't know why or I don't know why that is and so dad dying and all that stuff I don't know what impact that's had I remember reading an um, analogy once they're like nature versus nurture it's like mixing paint like pink and uh, say red and white paint and the thing goes pink and then trying to extract it again to see what bits are it's, you can't it's impossible it's impossible you that's don't know that's a great analogy yeah you don't know but yeah I guess I kind of had to figure my shit out a bit at that stage because I like you know you're kind of what your mom's grieving you kind of lose two parents in a way for a short space of sure. time did you have any siblings I have one brother called Connor Okay, cool. but he was older, so he was he wasn't in the house as much. Do you know Got what I mean? You. Yeah. So that was probably the biggest change if, if of childhood, I would say. Mm. And then you went and you did PR, and you just said you did seven years in uni for a three year course. So I did English and sociology, and geez, I did everything when I started. I did French, I did Greek and Rome, and I did everything, and I dropped out and started again and dropped what out. What uni? 
UCD, University UCD. College Dublin. Amazing, yeah. Uh, so English was always, I always loved English. I always yeah. loved, I always loved writing. That was my, th- that was kind of my thing. I really enjoyed that. So I knew I was going to do that. And then I absolutely loved sociology, loved it. Yeah. And I was actually going to, I was going to do a, a doctorate and I was going to like become an academic. Mm. Because didn't you get top points in uni? Like you, you, you went full like top marks. So because up to that point, I've been such an, I'd, I'd kind of just taken the piss and I hadn't really applied myself at all. And I was not turning up for exams and like all that shit. So when I, when I finally got my shit together, I was like, right, I'm going to go back and do my finals. I did work very hard. And yeah, I did. I came first in sociology in my year in college. Wow. And this is a big uni. Yeah, a it's lot a lot of people yeah. in that year. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. And um, I think I could have had to prove to people I wasn't thick. Because I, I'd been such a fuck up. I was so, I was like, I was such a fuck up. When? What, before then? I was, just, college was, because, I, yeah, I was, I was just, I was partying and I wasn't going in and I, you know, everyone was kind of worried about, but you know, one of these kind of like, is she ever going to get right. her shit together and what's she going to do? And, you know, my brother had gone, he'd gone very like college, accountancy, marriage, kids. And I was just kind of floating around on him. So, so yeah, so because of that, then if you come first, they offer you a doctorate, like a scholarship. So I was, I was genuinely really considering doing it because I loved sociology so much. And then this PR offer came in for this master. So I ended up doing that, which I'm glad, I'm glad I did. I think I would have been kind of bored in academia after a while. I don't know. It probably wouldn't be I love how extreme though that is. That kind of sliding doors moment, like the fork in the road. Will I go and be a professor or will I go and work in PR? I think, I think, and do you know what that is? Because I, I didn't know myself at all. So I was like, Oh, oh, I'm obviously good at sociology, right? Well, I'll just, I'll be a sociologist. Like in my leaving, I, I'll never forget it. My, my poor mother, because we didn't know what I was going to do. I got an A in geography. Now, the reason I got an A in so geography. So did I. Ah! It's the only thing I got an A in. Same. Hold on, is it? I think it is. Yeah, that's so funny. Oh my God. I was so happy that I got that A. I know. Do you know what happened to me though in the geography exam? Oh, you know the way you study kind of half the course, course, course. curriculum, yeah. yeah. So you're like, all right, listen, I'm going to go heavy on waterfalls. Yeah, my, my or go- like Oxbow Lakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to put all my eggs into waterfalls. Turn up on the day, glaciers come up. You're like, fuck. <laughs> the school I was in the went on fire. What? Yeah. Oh, the school, well, on the day of the exam? 20 minutes into the exam. Oh my! So God. I open the paper, I'm fucked. School goes on fire. We're all evacuated. We have to reset the geography. And and the next time, uh, I obviously learned more of the curriculum. <laughs> and then the thing that I studied came up. But because I got an A in geography and because I was so lost in my 20s, mum was like, you're great at geography. <laughs> Would you not do something with the geography? And I was like, mum, like I absolutely chanced my arm on that one. Like I'm not a natural person. Like it's not like geography is a great skill of mine. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I couldn't even pick a Peru on a map. <laughs> But she was like, the geography, she's great at the geography. Um, oh my God. But yeah, so that was the thing. Cause I didn't know yeah. myself at all. I was like, oh shit, I was dying for direction. So I was like, oh, if I'm good at sociology, maybe that's what I should do, you know? But no, that wasn't the right route for me. So thank God I didn't take it. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So how were the PR years? Pretty good. Like it was a great, I worked in a really fun agency full of young people who were still some of my best friends. Right. So the social side of it was really good. PR is a very stressful job. Yeah. Especially when you're on the, in an agency. So you're working on all these brands. I did enjoy it. It was, a, and you know what? It was actually a great learning curve for the job I'm in now because I have a good understanding of like branding. Yeah. And um, I like a good poster, artwork, all that stuff because that's the stuff that you learn. And I can write a good blurb. I kind of understand the power of a good photo, stuff yeah. like that. But I, I kind of knew it wasn't really for me long term. And then I was kind of unwell. I was kind of, I was unwell for a while. I Is had, this the eating disorder? Yeah, I had an eating disorder for a while, but I was kind of in denial about it and I was functioning with it. And, you know, I was kind of like, Asher, everyone pukes up the odd meal. And then it was yeah. getting worse and worse. And I think the job, because the job was quite stressful and I'm, I'm not good at managing stress. I get kind of over, right. overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, and so that was my way of dealing with it. And yeah, and then I just got worse and worse and worse. And then. So you were in your 20s then, like early 20s? Late 20s. Late 20s. Yeah. So I was still like, so I got into stand up, I think it's 2017. And so I was uh, I was still in treatment when I was when I started. Wow. So it got worse to the point where it was um, affecting your life and you had to do something about it. Yeah. So I had to quit my job and I was I went into Vincent's and stuff. I was was, as a day patient, but I was in there. I went into a program. What was the turning point? When did you know that you had to do that? Um, I mean, there was many turning points, but I ignored a lot right. of them. I was going around in circles for a very long time. I was like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe this is, maybe, I, but because it feels self-inflicted, you feel like, well, I've started this so I can stop it. You don't, I, I didn't really take it seriously as a mental health issue. I, I thought I could fix it. I think, I think like, um, it wasn't. Like when I was a kid, there was so many people, including me, with eating disorders. And it you would it was never, ever put in that same bracket as a, no. as a mental health issue. No. It was just something that everyone seemed to have and do. And people were nearly competitive about sometimes in school anyway. Big time. And I think I go, which is probably not that healthy. I assume everyone has an eating disorder and I work back from there. Yeah. yeah, Genu- yeah, yeah. Genuinely, I really do. Mine just got more out of control than say a lot of people's which in a way is good because I had to deal with it then whereas had I st- remained as a functioning bulimic right. I'd still be a functioning bulimic to this day right yeah so in a way the fact that it went bonkers meant that you had to just I had to confront go in it. yeah yeah I had to tag I had to check out of my life and go in and start again yeah everything had to change everything had to stop um which in a way is I think it's kind of it's it, 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 thank god in a way because like I say I would have been tipping away at that for the rest of my life I'd say 
Would you say that's your biggest adulthood change, like coming through that and starting again in a way? There was a lot of change. Like, again, this was a huge time of change. Yeah. So I, I had to leave my job. I had to move out of my apartment. I moved back to my mum's. Um, I started into an eating disorder program. Um, and I was just kind of floating around being mad, basically, because I admitted, I was like, okay, I'm ble- I was anorexic bulimic. I, I have the, the two. I have a really good work ethic. I went with the yeah. two. So, so I was puking, you know, all this shit it was so dark. It was such a dark time. But I think for my family, you're like, they knew what was going on. They were, I wouldn't admit it. Okay. And my mom wouldn't let me into the house until I got treatment. So I couldn't visit or anything. And then I ended up sleeping in my office because I couldn't go back to my own house because my housemates knew what was going on. It was just, it was a shit show. Wow. So then I was like, okay, look, I've obviously got an eating disorder. And everyone was like, yay. And yeah. then I, I think, and then I think the assumption was it would just stop then because I'd admitted it. And that obviously didn't happen. So then they were, my mother was then living with it, which, you know, was not in her plans. And so, so when, when you came out and admitted it, did your mom let you back in or was, did your mom not let you back in until you agreed to go for treatment? So she knew. And then she was like, you have to go for treatment. You can't. Yeah. So then I hit rock bottom, as they say. And then it was like, right. She came in, she took me out of the house and she brought me back to her house. And there's the whole kind of the journey began. And mm. what a journey it was. What a fucking journey it was. But I'm so glad. It well began. done. Well done you for getting over. I mean, when it's that extreme, it's. I know, but I, like, I'm kind of like that. It's always something. There's a, like, it's, I'm a bit extreme. <laughs> yeah. But like when it's that extreme to come through it, I mean, to come yeah. out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I mean, I mean, work. I know it, stay, it stays with you forever. I think when you think in that way, it's hard to kind of come out of that path of thinking about food and control and that kind of thing it's a very very slow process because you basically have to relearn how to eat and Hmm. and you have to kind of relearn what is a normal body and how to be in a bigger body without thinking you failed at something all that stuff you know yeah yeah. there's a lot of remapping that goes on with your brain And that's just therapy and therapy and therapy and therapy and time and therapy and therapy and therapy and time. Yeah. I was kind of trying to justify recovery and I really didn't want to recover because recovery to me just meant fat. Yeah. And fat meant failure. Fat meant failure. Disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Failure. Self-loathing. All those things. Mm. Um, And I remember being like, okay, look, I obviously have to, I kind of have to recover now because I was missing out on my life. Like I could, I couldn't do anything. I, you know, I couldn't go for a date. I couldn't, you know, the girl, the girls would be going for lunch. I, I wouldn't do any. Like it's just, I was just sitting in my room. But to me, at the time, I was like, I'd rather sit in my room if it means that I can stay at this looking like a fucking greyhound dog. I'd rather stay and do that because that's my priority. That's my goal. So all that thinking had to be changed. Um, so it did. It took a long time, but thank God, thank. It's the. I have to say, like when I think back, I didn't realize how grim it was at the time. Mm. I don't mean to make it sound like it's really it, it, but it is a difficult thing to get over because you can't get away from food or your body. No, 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 you have, no. You have to look at your body and you have to eat and all those things. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's, you know, it's a, it was a tough one, but I, I did it. I like, and I think I include lads in this now as well, but like so many women I know have a, t- have a, have a touch or have it had very severe totally. or, yeah. or have it and don't even know they have it. Yeah. 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 You know, or, or would have it till, till they're old and, yeah. and just, just say, Oh, I'm just a funny eater or whatever, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, it's all of that, isn't it? Sometimes I even think like, I probably get ripped for saying this now when I see young girls and they're vegan, I'm like, I oh, God, sometimes I wonder, is it just for mm. some of them? Is it a way of 
Yeah. Having shielding an, yeah shielding an eating disorder yeah, yeah i do and like obviously there are people who are vegan for you know ethical mm. ethical reasons and it's all legitimate but i do but also i think being a young girl now they've much more that all that body positivity like we grew up at the same time there's no such thing as body no, positivity everyone no it was thin was in there was so no you were was never thin in enough. 78 so i was a teenager in at the start of the 90s like heroin chic heroin like, chic kate, kate moss, moss. Yeah. all of that like Stick rake yeah. in. Uh, yeah, juicy couture hanging off your rib cage, yeah. hanging off your thigh bones. It was bone, 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 bone. So, oh God, it was, yeah, there was no Roma. Like, even when I, do you know, like even Lizzo now, and you're like, that's so dead. Yeah. Like, we never yeah, yeah. had that. Yeah. But you know what, Joanne? Like, it's so good that you talk about it in such a like, candid way in, like, in your comedy. Like, now, like, just to come out and talk about it and vocalize it, it there'll be so many women who are just. It's I'm so sure common. you've had so many messages from people about it. I did. So I, I did a show. So when I was unwell, I was I used to write. I had this anonymous blog called Eat the Pastry. And then a friend of mine sent it to um someone in the Indo. And then I, I got a call in, but it wasn't about, believe me, it was just a call in about whatever was going on. And um, but then a friend of mine, Una McEvitt, who's gone on to kind of direct most of my shows, she was the one who put. So basically what happened, how I got into comedy then was, mm. so I was at, doing this program in Vincent's and mm. um, floating around, nothing to do. And Una was putting on a, she works in the arts, she's a director and she was putting on a play called Singlehood, which was the cast. I think there was nine of us and it was half real people in inverted commas, i.e. people who aren't actors. Actresses or actors, yeah. And then half comics talking about their love lives. And I had been, this is the maddest thing. When I was unwell, I've never had more boyfriends in my life what? yeah because i always <clears throat> i was like this will fix it now this man will that, fix you it. were you were kind of going out trying to find people or were they coming to you like how was it well it's a it was a mix firstly i look back and i was like i kind of find it even just upsetting for men that they're told that that physique is attractive when i was I like know. do you know what yeah. i mean yeah that, yeah but as well when i started the program i was kind of out partying and stuff um uh because there's no food involved in partying yeah, but anyway, they, three months and they'd realize I was deranged and they'd be like, you're Grant. That was it. Every three months. Boom. It's over. Boom. It's over. Like clockwork. Right. And one lad, um, I was got, I'd just been broken up with by this lad and he was bald and I was fuming and I was telling this story about getting broken up with this bald lad, blah, blah, blah. And then Una was like, just tell that story. And so that's I went into single and started telling that story. And then there was another comic who saw it and he was like, I think you should do stand up. And that's kind of how it started. OK, so if I hadn't been unwell. So I w- this would never have happened. So in a way, I wouldn't it's change all, it. It's all kind of led to there. And yeah. So you never had any designs or like desires to do stand up comedy. No. Had it just not occurred to you? It had never occurred. Yeah. I, it had never occurred to me. And I was very lucky in that he was very enthusiastic. He was very encouraging. Una was very encouraging. I, I had a lot of people kind of pushing me along into it. Um. Because, I mean, it's a bananas career choice. Who the fuck? You know, and for someone, I had such a normal job. I was in PR, you know. Yeah. There was no Southside women doing comedy that I know. Maybe I'm wrong, but there wasn't. It wasn't really yeah. a thing. Um, Because as I was told, no one will listen to your accent for an hour. Which I was told relentlessly. God. Yeah. But um, so, no, that was a total curveball. I just got really lucky. Really lucky with timing and met the right people and... And then just worked hard at it, you know. Once I realized, oh, I could actually do this. Yeah. 
And I was like, well, I'd much rather, this feels like me now. I was having to do a lot of therapy on myself, figure out what I wanted. I think the bulimia anorexia was part of an identity crisis that a lot of people, mm. like a lot of people go through that. They're like, who the fuck am I? What do I want? Um, and when I started doing stand up and I was on the road touring and stuff with other comics, I was like, this is what I want. Was there a moment in that in those er- early years where it all clicked and you you felt like you actually could make a career out of it as opposed yeah. to just like, oh, I know I want this, but like, actually, this this is viable. Like, yeah, I would have to admit, even though sometimes yeah. it's, it's not a great side of myself, but I'm quite competitive, mm. like a healthy amount. That's why I had to go back and study for my finals. I feel like if I'm going to do it, I need to do it. If I'm, I'm going to put everything I have into it, if I'm actually going to if I've made a decision. Um, so the comedy was kind of like the sociology. I was like, right, fuck this. This is what I, this is what I'm doing now. So everything goes into this. I basically swapped bulimia for stand up. So you swapped trying to like make yourself smaller <laughs> physically yeah. to like trying to like make your career bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So I just put everything into it. So I just did all the shit gigs. Yeah. I was coming back and forth. I got signed in the UK. I came over here. I was staying in fucking shitholes, cat homes, basically, because I had no money. I was like, I'm just going to make this work now. Wow. This is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And I was lucky in that. Well, when I moved to the UK, I'd no husband. I'd no kids. I could just I've just put everything into comedy and myself, basically. Mm. It's actually a really nice thing to do. And I'm I think even when I started, I used to really struggle with being on my own that much. I was going through a breakup at the time and I was really, I would cry on the trains and it was just, I felt so lonely. But, and I, but I, the only time I wasn't sad was when I was on stage. So, um, but now I'm so mentally robust. My boyfriend's like, can you give me a call or? Like, yeah, so who are you? What's your Yeah, name? I'm like, I've gone completely 180. I am just so comfortable on my own that actually I find it hard to spend time with other people now. <laughs> But I'd much rather this, I'd much rather this version of myself than the previous version of myself because I was a bit totally. of a mess. I was a bit of a mess, to be honest. Yeah. 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 Well, you got through it and it sounds like you had to kind of just like turn the mirror on yourself and really go through a painful process, but to come out stronger and more resilient and more like knowing who you are. I think it takes a fucking long time for people to really know who they are and what they want. A long, and some people can go through their whole life without yeah. knowing what they really want. Big so time. Being forced to do that, as, as awful and painful as it was, it's kind of worked out in a, in it a really has. positive way. And you know what's so interesting? I was kind of the the mess when we were in our 20s, you know, with yeah. my friends and stuff. And they were, seemed to know their shit. They were having, and they were making really sensible decisions. They were getting married and they had long-term boyfriends and all this stuff. But then now some of them are a bit like what I was like in my 20s. They're a bit like, shit, is this it? Did I, right. jump, too, did I jump too quick? Did I make, and I'm glad that I actually, because again, the commitment phobia has, I am a bit of a commitment phobe, that... I'm still, I keep saying single, I'm not single, but like in my brain, <laughs> like that I'm. You've got the single mind, you've got it in your mind that you I'm, are that person. I think, yeah. I, I think of a single cell, yeah. do you know what I mean? I think of a single <laughs> cell, but um, I'm glad that I've kind of kept myself, respon- I've no responsibilities, only myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a new boyfriend, he's new. I have a responsibility to him now, of course, but yeah. I've no mortgage, I've no kids, I can travel around. Oh my God. And so to all your friends who are married with kids and, and literally like stuck, trapped, that that's like, oh, the idea of having no responsibilities. Yeah. Some of them are yeah. happy out, but some of them are like, I'd love a bit of that. I'd love a yeah. bit of what you have. But if you told me when I was 22, you're still going to be uh, single at 39 with no house, 
no kids. I would have been like, I would have seen that as a failure. Yeah. But now I actually see it as a win. Yeah. I think it's part of growing up, isn't it? It's like, is realizing like all of these things that you're told societally, you know, sociology student here, like, yes, there's a pathway to success and to happiness and it involves partners and children and marriage and university and all of that. And then you get to a point, you're like, it's all fucking bullshit. Like, it's I know. total bullshit. You're like, I've been po- asked by my school to go back and give out prizes, right? Um, okay. For the six years. Wesley. Wesley was the kind of the cool, the cool posh school. Were you mixed? Oh, mixed. Totally yeah. mixed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sister, we all went there. I was the last. But yeah, so going back, giving out prizes based on the fact that I didn't do what I originally like wanted to do. And I don't know. I think when you're young or even when you're like in your 20s, you, you, I think you think you, that, that life is just going to take this one very simple path. And it's like, you might not want to be a comedian in 10 years. You might change your mind want to be a chef. Like, and that's exciting knowing yeah. that anything can change. Totally. Well, you're going to you're going to write, aren't you? You do. You've got a book deal. This is I have exciting. A, I have a book deal. Yeah. So um, yeah, I have a book deal. My poor publisher. She's like, eh, you booked another gig. Any sign of the book? No. <laughs> Any sign of this? You're going to Dubai with any sign of the book? Um, yeah, so I'm going to write a book. What's the book about? Oh, so it's essays, is it? It's essays, yeah. So that's the kind of stuff I read. I read female-centric essays. Have you so, read Emily Pine? Her yes. Book? I love that. Love it. I love a bit of Nora Ephron, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not comparing myself to her. I just, that's what I like reading. So that's what I want to write. That's what I want to write. Yeah. 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 Oh, I can't wait. But you know what's interesting? Just going back to what we were saying before. God, obviously, I've I've met a guy now called Alan, and he's amazing. Mm. But I honestly think if I if I was single for the rest of my life, as in I kind of thought that that was what was going to happen, and I was kind of I was kind of grand with it. Yeah, I was like, but that's what they all say. As soon as you're cool, I know. You're not looking for it, it comes yeah. along. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I but, see that I see the benefits to paddling your own canoe, as they say. Yeah, I think it's a sign of a very healthy relationship when you are, you don't need people in, in a way to be happy. You know, yeah. you can be happy on your own two feet, but they they enhance your happiness, but totally. they don't define it. Like Exactly. And that's what I think is, this is probably the healthiest relationship I've ever had because we don't need each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, even emo- emotion. Yeah, exactly. We've got our own thing yeah. going on. It's nice. Yeah, well, I'm delighted for you. It's great. Thanks. what change to yourself or to the world around you would you still like to make Ooh. well I'll go local I'll go small I could get into climate change but I mean why why depress Bast. us all yeah I my biggest want in life is a dog <laughs> and I, can't I, you get one no I can't get one because you're on tour too much yeah I travel too much for work so my biggest sadness to date so far is that I haven't been able to have a dog so that's something I would like to change. I would love to own a load of dogs. I have a farm fantasy. Do you have a farm fantasy? No, I don't. But I do. Me. Yeah, I have a farm fantasy where I like own a house in the countryside in the middle of nowhere. Just loads of animals. Yeah. A couple of llamas. Me just kind of, I don't know, eating jams, cycling a penny farthing through the town. I have this <laughs> kind of old school farm fantasy. It's just me and a load of animals living our lives. My sister's just bought two pigs. Oh! <gasps> They're called uh, Luigi and Smudge, coon, <laughs> coon pigs, like pet pigs. She's she's living your fantasy. 
the name Luigi is such a high end name and then Smudge it's, and Smudge yeah oh my god they're amazing where does she keep them she she has a garden and she she just has like a uh, an area in the garden that that she is fenced off and they just live in there and they're so I went to visit her over the summer they're so affectionate yeah they're so sweet and they're so clever and she brings them for walks like dogs no yeah. Yeah, where does she you, live? You should she, get she, some pigs. Joanne. She, imagine me with two pigs in my roof, my roof in Clapham, <laughs> where I live. She lives in she lives in Ennis, in County Clare. Okay, so she's got a bit of land. She's got a bit of space. So that's what I would like to change. I would like mm. some sort of farm fantasy animals. Me and Alan milking a cow. And- if Alan and you end up shacking up together, you could get a dog if he was willing to walk it when you're away. Big time. That's yeah. what I'm kind of. I'm kind of buttering him up for that now. Yeah. So we'll see. But that would. I love. I. I'm. A, I do love animals. I'm like pigs. Can you believe people eat them? No, I can't. We. I was. My mom grew up in a pig farm, so <sighs> we've been vegetarian all our lives because wow. she's had to watch the pigs come and go. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I, know, I know. I remember. I remember Linda McCartney saying, "If slaughterhouses had windows, we'd all be vegetarians." I try my best. I try my best. I don't eat red meat, and I don't eat pig. I don't eat pork at all. They're so smart. They're so, so smart. Apparently they have the same intellectual like capacity as a three-year-old kid. Yeah. They can use joysticks and all. I'm always yeah. reading about pigs. <laughs> they call- I love your hyper focuses on I like lo- they talk yeah. about. So I, love going to, I, I love going down a hell, do you know what I mean? And um, mm. I've gone down a pig hell every now and again. And they, they feel they fear and everything. And oh, just, oh yeah. They yeah, know the, the, they're going to be killed. Their squeals are yeah. so different. Like the, oh. the, the different sounds and the different grunts off them meaning different. Like I was only there for three or four days, but I could, at the end of it, I was kind of reading. There's a language there. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Anyway, listen, Joanne McNally, before you go, tell me yes. uh, what, what the plan is for the rest of the year. So we're halfway through the year now. Yes. What's going on for the end of 2022? Basically just gigging straight through now till December. Okay. Yeah. And is is there still tickets on sale? Can people come and see you? Yes, for the UK dates, there are still tickets on sale. And I think there's actually some tickets left for the last Vicar Street. Yeah, okay. no, there are. There's tickets. And I'm going everywhere. I'm going to like Yeovil and I'm going to per- Perth in Scotland. And it's all on my website, JoanneMcNally.com. Loads and loads of dates. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. I'm so glad we, we got there and we managed to have this <laughs> chat. I Same. really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much to Joanne McNally. Absolute legends. Do go check out My Therapist Ghosted Me and do go check out Joanne on tour. Head to joannemcnally.com as she said. We'll put a link to that website in the show notes. And let me know what you thought. Spread this around. Anyone you know who likes the My Therapist Ghosted Me podcast, um, tell your friends, family. Subscribe to the new season as well because we have so much in store for you. Such brilliant guests to come. And also, if you like this, you might enjoy going back and listening to some other amazing comics we've had in the past on Changes. Joe Lysett in the last series, Ramesh Ranganathan and Jimmy Carr. Some of the biggest and best in their field. Right. Also need to highlight, if you don't know, there's a transcript of each episode of Changes on my website. We do this for the hard of hearing. If you know anyone who is deaf and would like to consume Changes, do please let them know. There's a link in the show notes to that. And we are going to be back next Monday with a very, very special guest. This episode of Changes was produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. See you next week. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.